Thank you, Frank and Gerald. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you very much. We'll be in Luke chapter 8, folks. You turn there now. We come across three verses that are often overlooked. They might at first glance appear a little inconsequential, but we know that nothing that the Holy Spirit inserts into Scripture lacks significance. Second uh, Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is God-breathed, right, and useful for teaching. That we would be equipped for every good work. Uh, I greatly appreciate this paragraph uh, even more than I first began looking at it several days ago uh, for, from a teaching sense. At the close of chapter 7, last week if you remember, uh, Jesus had just elevated the immoral woman that had come to him. She had been transformed and uh, she now serves him, washing his feet. And he declares her sins forgiven. She gets to depart in peace. Meanwhile, Simon the Pharisee earns a stern rebuke from Jesus. Um, the theology of the Pharisees, folks, it, uh, it provided a very low view of women. Wives were often treated harshly, regarded as intellectually inferior to men. Uh, some husbands viewed their wives more of a possession than a partner. Some men assigned more value to their livestock. That might not surprise us. It's often the def- that is often the default setting of false religion, folks. As you look around the world, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, and the like, Islam, others... Uh, often you seen, see and find women subjugated or oppressed, and uh, that's false religion. But it had become normative under the dominion of the Pharisees. And it's been said, you know, of Jesus that, that uh, his elevation of women was revolutionary. Something completely new. Personally, I disagree. Jesus' teaching, it didn't represent a revolution at all, but a reformation, a reformation back to what God had originally designed for women. The original design from the very beginning. She was to be a help, a helpmate. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And Eve joined Adam. They became One flesh, so Jesus' respect towards women, it was not new. It was not revolutionary. His view was biblical. It was old. It was old as creation itself. He restored in his ministry the dignity of women as intended by God and seen in the Old Testament. You know, it's been a charge levied by feminism that the Bible... That it's oppressive, it denigrates women. That view is ignorant. It is inaccurate. It is scripturally inaccurate. You need look no further than Proverbs 31 or the book of the Song of Solomon uh, to observe the biblical esteem of the woman. They are highly valued, industrious, hardworking, loving, beautiful. Amen? But still, the woman is not a man. She's not to be a man. She is to complement the man. Women are provided by God as a help. We are to view her, 1 Peter 3, 7, as a weaker vessel, but yet a co-heir to the kingdom of God. She shall be protected. She shall be cherished by her husband. She will be loved. 
what is oppressive, what is abusive, what is even denigrating to women is the notion that she should be expected to behave like a man. She wasn't designed uh, to be that way. Uh, work by the sweat of her brow and all the same functions of a man. Uh, then supposedly to put on, display her body, employing sexuality uh, to manipulate, to manipulate others into supposedly uh, the man surrendering his role. That denigrates women. That's the view so often uh, promoted in our culture. Rather than preserving a woman's dignity and chastity toward men, liberated women in entertainment, uh, they use nudity, they use sensuality, they use song lyrics, they use um, uh, spoken words in a movie, they use all of this, these things that might embarrass a sailor folks that, that that has not elevated women the modern view of women has not elevated them it doesn't empower them it doesn't cause men to treasure women in their minds it causes men to objectify women and it denigrates them folks feminism hollywood the music industry entertainment they've all gotten it wrong bottom line they've all gotten it wrong Jesus, however, he elevates women. He lifts them up as we should. They are dignified co-laborers for the kingdom. They are sisters in Christ. They, like the rest of us, like everyone here, they, they arise out of diverse backgrounds. So it's no accident that immediately after the scene with the immoral woman, who Jesus loved much, and that woman who loved him much, it's no accident then that, that there are women that are elevated in this next passage. They arise out of different walks of life. They serve faithfully Christ and his church, uh, yet they're still separate from the apostles. They're still listed separately. They never assume uh, the role that is given to the man. Scripture forbids that. But they are continuously present, folks. They are enormously valuable to the kingdom just as men, just like men, just as we experience in this church weekly, folks. Jesus demonstrates in this text today, women make the church go. They make it go. They are ministering women. So at the beginning of Luke chapter 8, Jesus, having just blessed the immoral women and having uh, sent her away, her now able to depart in peace, We read in verse 1, Soon afterwards he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses, Mary who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. You know, folks, as Jesus traveled with the twelve, they didn't travel alone. Women who have come to trust in Christ, they they have now become co-heirs to the kingdom of Christ. They have also become partners in ministry. The narrative opens uh, with a repeated and familiar scene. We've seen this over and over again in Luke. Jesus is traveling about city to city, village to village, preaching the kingdom of God. 
calling people to repentance. The twelve are there with them. The women are too. The women are present as well. Luke has emphasized how many women have been present from the very beginning. From the very beginning. John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth, a woman. Mary, the mother of Christ, a woman. Both elevated, raised up as godly and righteous before God. Then we see the dedication of the child Jesus at the temple, remember? We not only hear the declaration made by Simeon, we also hear the declaration made by who? Anna. In chapter 4, Jesus reminds Israel that the great Elijah, the, the prophet Elijah, was sent to Zarephath, a widow. Jesus later heals Peter's mother-in-law. How does she respond? Like a woman, she rises up and she serves Jesus. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus reminds the crowds, all prophets were born of women. That ought to be pretty obvious. So this woman last week washing Jesus' feet, it doesn't establish a new precedent. It's not a new direction of Luke. He's been... He has been referencing women all along. They've been present. They will continue to be present in the narrative all the way up to the tomb and even to the resurrection. They're there through and through. Boy, would you like to know a terrifying notion to a pastor? I mean, if I were to fall asleep and have a nightmare that would would cause me to have sweats and, and terrify me and I'd be petrified, you know what that would be? Trying to do church without women. Can you imagine that? The idea of trying to make church go without women. Folks, forget it. Forget it. First, we wouldn't get anything to eat. (laughs) Nothing would be cleaned. More than that, our children would be not taught. They'd be untaught. We'd be singing a cappella. Folks, the bills would not be paid. You could go on and on and on. The servants who have been ministering women. Praise God for women. And we shouldn't get the impression that that these women with Jesus here were simply following him around, you know, and and they, and they kind of got their hands crossed and their heads bowed and and uh, uh, they're just kind of reverently watching and, and and silently listening from from a good distance. How many women have you ever met like that? I haven't. No, they they were busy. They were involved. They participated. They were drawn to Christ because He treated them differently than what they were experiencing in their culture. He treated them better than their culture. He restored dignity to their role where it had been robbed. Folks, that is a function of the church today. The woman who suffered a hemorrhage, we'll see her later in this chapter, when she's exposed of of having touched Jesus. Remember when they caught her? And she falls down, she, she trembles in fear. Why do you think that is? It's because the way she had been treated by Pharisees and physicians in her life caused her to tremble and fear. Those who are supposed to care for and those who are supposed to spiritually lead. 
had caused her fear. Jesus responds to her the same way he did to the immoral woman last chapter. What's he tell her? Depart in peace. Depart in peace. You know, I think about it. Do you know why women so often outnumber men in church? Churches vary, but so often there are many more women in church uh, in every age group. You know why I think that is? I think that women realize that the true church, the faithful church, is a safe place. It's a safe place to come. The safety and concern that they might not enjoy in the workplace, they might not experience at home, they might not have in their family or in the secular world, they can find it in Christ. They can find it in His church, and they respond to Christ through serving Him, through ministering and loving much. Do you get the impression as we think of Jesus traveling throughout Galilee into the cities, uh, do you get the impression that the women that were with Him felt safe? I would. I would get that impression. Do you, do you anticipate that, that they knew that was a safe place that they could serve? That they could be ministering and not be victimized? Oh yeah. Yeah, they could. Men and women, women were traveling side by side from city to city. Do you expect Jesus had safeguards in place? <laughs> I'm sure he did. Of course, his omniscience probably helped quite a bit there. But do you think the environment was safe? Folks, secure and safe is how the local church should look. Secure and safe. If you're a woman, I want to tell you this. If you're a woman, you're safe at this church. You're safe at Port St. Lucie Bible Church. If any woman ever becomes unsafe or feels like she becomes unsafe, leadership wants to know. This is a refuge. The church is a refuge. We're committed to the belief that ministry and women will flourish in Port St. Lucie Bible Church, that they'll be safe and they'll be able to serve Christ because the Bible suggests that Christ's kingdom depends on it. That's a fact. Christ's kingdom depends on it. Christians are admittedly imperfect, but in comparison to the world, the church is a very safe place. Christ is a refuge to women. He offers them peace. His church is a refuge to women where they can abide in peace. Folks, if, there, if there's anyone that may have the mindset or history of a predator, because they, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. I want them to know too, this is not a safe place. It's not a safe place. And it, it's a good time. I didn't prepare them, but uh, I'd like uh, to just introduce our elders quickly, the shepherds of this flock, so that visitors know who they are. Nathan and Dawn too, would you raise your hand, even stand up casually, turn around. Let them see who you are. They're uh, a couple. He is one of our elders. Gerald, you have met his wife, Andrea. The redhead went out. Uh, she had children's church this month. Uh, this month, so she's there. Rita, would you please stand up? It's my wife. Um, Earl and Gail Baker. Earl is still an elder. He, he's suffering uh, through cancer right now. They're not with us. The Alberinos. Where are the Alberinos? Anybody see the Alberinos anywhere? There they are. 
Anthony and Cheryl Alberino. They are, they're out of town this week, but I wanted you to see their face. I wanted you to know who they are. I'd also like, Ruth, would you stand up? Ruth uh, leads a lot of our women's ministry. Folks, we care about women. This is a place where you are safe as a woman. And there are so few places now in the world, it seems that that is true. We want you to know that. These women in Luke 8, they had a safe place. They were with Jesus. They flourished, folks. They persevered in ministry. They were present at the crucifixion. In Matthew 27, verse 55, we are told, listen to this, many women were looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to Him. They were ministering women. And they ministered to His body even after His death, folks. They prepared for Him spices and perfume on the morning of His resurrection. Later in the same Gospel, uh, Luke 23, verse 55, we read, The women who had come with Jesus out of Galilee followed. And they saw the tomb and how His body was laid. They followed Him all the way to the tomb. They were there, folks. They were faithful. This describes the same group of women we're talking about here. In chapter 24, verse 10, among them were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and the mother, uh, Mary the mother of James. And it says, and also the other women. They're all still there, folks. How, how could they not remain with Jesus he provided them the one thing that they hadn't been able to find in the world up to that point. Peace. He gave them peace. He allows them to depart in peace. How would the women want to leave that? They wouldn't, and they didn't. So the women with Jesus in His ministry, uh, they're presented as remaining very faithful. Very faithful. They're committed uh, women of ministry. Some of these women, we see in verse 2, Jesus had healed uh, of evil spirits and spirits and, and various sicknesses. So a number were first ministered to by Jesus in their distress. They, recip- uh, they reciprocate by loving Jesus. How, how, many, how many men here, you don't have to raise your hands, how many men here have recognized that with their wives? When you minister to them and you meet their needs, they reciprocate. They respond. That's how women are. It's in their DNA. It's been, it's been like woven into them. When they're treated well, they respond uh, with love and with grace. Among them is Mary, who is called Magdalene. That could have been her last name. It's more likely that she originated from a region of Galilee, a town uh, named Magdala. Um, Whichever it was, there were so many women named Mary at that time. Really, a lot of Marys. Uh, Jesus probably had a tough time trying to distinguish them, so he named her Magdalene. They called her Magdalene for whatever reason. She was simply referred to as Magdalene. Before meeting Christ, she had seven demons. So men here, I'm thinking she was probably single. Probably single. Some have proposed 
her as being the prostitute from the previous chapter. Um, if Luke was trying to convey that notion, if that's what he wanted us to get from the text, if that was his intent, he probably would have introduced her in the previous passage. The woman in the previous passage was, was known uh, as sexually immoral. Magdalene is separately introduced by Luke as knowing, uh, known as being demon-possessed. Probably wasn't the same woman. We can't be certain. Uh, she had her life completely transformed through the power and through the preaching of Christ. She found peace. The demons left her, and she was left in Christ with peace. And at least during his earthly ministry... Folks, I I can think of no other woman more devoted to Jesus. Her life was changed. She traveled alongside the twelve. She was with them. Uh, In Mark 15, 41, uh, it is said along with the other women that she, she waited on Jesus. Your translation might say she ministered to Jesus. Uh, That's the Greek word diakoneo. Servant. It's the same word used in the function of the office of deacons. 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's a related term to diakonos. The term deacon. And uh, that also is used to describe Phoebe in Romans chapter 16. Means minister. Means servant. Diakoneo is further employed uh, to describe the seven men chosen in Acts. Remember that ministered by giving food to the uh, Hellenistic Jews, the, the widows that were there, same term. It, it's, it simply refers to someone who willingly serves, willingly gives of themselves. It, it, it stresses uh, a life that is empl- exemplified by, by submission and service. Respect as well. Whether or not church formally nominates or identifies women to the office of deacon, folks, that's continually debated. That's been going on 2,000 years um, because of terminology in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, this church does not. Um, it, it seems to be reserved for men. But if you're a woman, if you're a woman, the point you should be invigorated by, the point that you should be motivated by, is the fact Scripture identifies Magdalene as one of Christ's most loyally devoted servants. She was there. She was there. She accompanied Jesus to Jerusalem. She witnessed his crucifixion. She followed Joseph of Arimathea as he laid Jesus' body in the tomb. She returned Sunday morning with spices and perfume so that she could anoint his body. She was the first to see Christ resurrected and the first to declare to the twelve that he is risen. Folks, was she close to Jesus? Was she devoted to Jesus? It was. In fact, she was so close to Jesus that he found in John chapter 20, he had to tell her, stop clinging to me. She wanted nothing more than being close to Jesus. Magdalene were alive today. She'd probably be the single woman that the Apostle Paul uh, describes as having a gift in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, do you remember what that gift is? Singleness? Wrong answer. The church often refers to it as a gift of singleness. I, I have 
uh, in the past as well. That, that's not fully accurate, folks. It's not fully accurate. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32, it says, One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord. In verse 26, Paul describes this gift that he has himself, not as merely being single, but as a person who displays, he says, undistracted devotion to the Lord. All right? Concerned about the things of the Lord, undistracted devotion to the Lord. The spiritual gift is not singleness. So personally, I don't call it that anymore. I don't call it the gift of singleness. It's not uncommon for a single man or a single woman uh, nowadays to spend their time traveling and seeing the world and, and going to and fro and socializing while rarely getting involved with the church at all. And their life might seem exotic or extraordinary. Uh, some people will ask, oh, what's that like enjoying, enjoying that, that, that life that you have of being single? And, and sometimes you'll hear, you'll hear a person say, it's like, well, you know, I, I, do, I, I, I spend a lot of time on the road and traveling and all these other things. And they claim to be a Christian. They say, well, you know, God has just given me the gift of singleness. No. No, that, that does not describe Magdalene. That's not the gift. There's no spiritual gift of singleness, nor that of spending all your time or resources on yourself. The true gift, which I now refer to as the gift of undistracted service, the gift of undistracted service, it's someone so enthralled with serving Christ, serving Christ through their church, that they remain satisfied in life just in serving Him. For that reason, he or she, whoever it may be, they, they just remain unconcerned about marriage. It's a particular gift that God has given them uh, through uh, in undistracted service to the Lord. Magdalene appears to be that type of gal. It'd be the same type of woman we see today, just, just infatuated with serving Christ. All their fullness comes in serving Christ, and therefore she, she invests her spare time, her resources in Christ through the various ministries, many of which are at the local church. That, that describes a ministering woman. She'd be a ministering woman. Some here might say, boy, I missed out on that. I got married years ago, and you know, to, to this date my, my husband just remains uninterested in anything Christian. Let me introduce you to Joanna. We find her in verse 3. She is the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. Joanna appears to be alone in her walk with Christ, though she's married. The other time we see her name is in Luke chapter 24, where she is listed again without her husband, but in the presence of the women who are at Jesus' tomb. She's there with the rest of them. Her husband, Chusa, he, he was serving as Herod's, Herod the Tetrarch's steward. Steward would have managed his property and managed Herod's holdings and other things. That, that was her husband's job. And, and it'd be likely that her husband wouldn't want to be seen as too cozy with you know, a, a rival king. He probably didn't have a lot of interest in what Jesus was doing especially since Herod was the Tetrarch of Galilee, right? 
And Jesus was traveling around Galilee. And we find out later that Herod was trying to have Jesus killed. So Joanna's husband probably didn't have a lot of interest in anything Christian. But it at least appears that Chusa, he didn't interfere with her service to Christ. Her ministering to Christ. As a married woman, she too, we'll see, she follows him all the way to the cross. All the way to the cross. Either Chusa, Chusa doesn't care, or he really trusts Jesus uh, in, in allowing his wife to travel with her wherever he goes. Knowing the exploits of Herod, and, and what he did, and how he behaved, and the type of characters that he surrounded himself with, my guess is Chusa just didn't really care. Isn't too concerned about Joanna. Yet she serves Christ. Her name too is listed in the Bible. We remember her. So, so her role, though it might have gone unnoticed by her husband, it didn't go unnoticed by Jesus. We'll encounter a lot of wives where husbands just aren't there. At least not yet. And though you might feel unnoticed by your husband, ladies, your service to the church does not go unnoticed by Christ. He offers you this hope in 1 Peter chapter 3 that he might have offered Joanna, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, and putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. That's what you do. If you're a ministering woman, your husband just isn't on board. Those are the instructions Scripture gives. Be faithful to your husband. Be respectful and chaste in your behavior. Pray that God will open his heart to respond. But list of, uh, the list by Luke doesn't end there. It goes on and on and on and on. Verse 3 says that there was Susanna, and then there's many others. Usually when we look into the scenes at the tomb and the scenes at the resurrection and the scenes at the crucifixion, it's many women. Many women fulfilled uh, these roles to Christ. They came from every walk of life, every type of circumstance to serve Christ and His church. From our scripture reading uh, earlier, from Romans 16, and you look at that church in Rome there, and all of those names of, of uh, people like Priscilla, who was with her husband Prisca, same, same woman, Priscilla and Achilla, Phoebe, who served well in the church of St. Crea, all of these names that I couldn't pronounce earlier, remember them? Look at all the women serving Jesus. Mothers and sisters and daughters and wives and grandmothers serving alongside Christ, serving alongside their husbands. They didn't only minister to the needs of Christ and His disciples. Verse 3 says they were contributing to their support, meaning the disciples and Jesus' support, out of their private means. They were generous women. They were giving women, just as the Lord had prospered them. Folks, they were, they were Proverbs 31 women. They worked hard. They were industrious. 
They provided clothing for their families. They extended their hands to the poor. They gave. They, they, they had the teaching of kindness on their lips. Women are designed by God to naturally give. They're helpers. It's in their DNA. Praise God. Praise God for all the roles that they help in. How could we possibly expect Christ or the church to have flourished without them? It wouldn't have happened. How could we possibly today, folks, how could we possibly expect the church to flourish without them? It would never happen. It would never happen. It could not happen. The scriptures are replete with chronicles of ministering women. You've got Rebecca who watered the animals. Consequently, with that, she, she had a servant's heart. Consequently, she got to marry Isaac, right? Rahab hid the spies. Therefore, she got to live and dwell with the people of Israel. Mary bore Christ. Ruth gleaned the fields to care for Naomi. And she got to marry Boaz and be in the lineage of Christ. Esther, her courage saved all of Israel, folks. In Acts 9, we find Tabitha. She's the one abounding in good deeds and had a reputation of charity for the poor. And of course, who could forget Lois and Eunice as they groomed Timothy for the ministry that he was going to inherit later on. Folks, they were all ministering women. They're everywhere. I'm going to be real honest. I could add dozens of names to that list from right here in this church. Ministering women. What Jesus did in elevating women wasn't a revolution. It was a biblical reformation. Christ knew the Bible originally, what the Bible originally said about the topic because as God the Son, uh, God the Son was there when God the Father took the hand of Eve and placed it into Adam's and made them one flesh. Christ was there. He knows what a woman's about. He knows what she's there for. She is a help and she is a blessing to man. It's not good that man be alone. The woman being with the men in ministry was God's design from the very beginning and Jesus calls his followers to return to it. Christianity elevates women. The Bible celebrates women. And in the passage today, we recognize that the ministry of Jesus depended upon women. So does ours, folks. So does ours. I just want to praise God for all the ministry and women. Maybe this comes a couple weeks early. At Mother's Day, we can praise women again, all right? I promise. Thank you all for uh, the women, for what you do for Christ's church. Let's pray. Father, as we think through our lives, Lord, um, all the women that affected us, from our mothers and grandmothers to, Lord, uh, women in church who cared for us, took care of us, Lord, taught us, Lord, uh, chastened us when we needed it. Father, they, they've been so good. Lord, your creation is good. And uh, we're grateful today for these ministering women. Lord, as we raise them and elevate them as you intended them to be, Lord, as co-heirs to the kingdom that you have promised. So, Lord, I pray uh, for our church 
that, that we remain focused on that, that we cannot excel as a church without the, the input and the zeal and the passion that these women show, that they demonstrate, Lord. So we thank you for them now. We, we give you praise for your, your great wisdom in making man and woman from the very beginning, Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you for this church. Thank you for having us here together. Thank you for the seniors that uh, uh, you've had here and going to dinner today. Lord, thankful. thank you for the joyful seniors that, uh, Lord, celebrate you and encourage us. Lord, what a great body you've given us uh, to be part of. We thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.